good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church on this beautiful weekend. Happy Resurrection Day, happy Easter, and happy 30th anniversary for us here. I want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. And we're talking about Hope Revived this weekend. Grab your sermon notes out. You can follow along. Let me start by asking you this question. How did the Christian church in 33 AD go from 12 disciples to today, 2.3 billion people claiming to be followers of Christ? I mean, think about that. That's one out of every three people on this planet. The church is bigger than China, Europe, and the United States combined. Nothing is bigger than the Christian church. How did that happen? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection. Now, imagine this. Imagine how the disciples felt watching all of their hopes and dreams crushed, destroyed, as their Savior was being brutally crucified on the cross. But little, little did they know that they were watching the greatest event of history and would soon have, that, have their hope revived at the resurrection of their Savior. You see, the gospel is the good news that God has reconciled us to himself by sending his son to die in our place for our sins. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave, proving that he is who he said he is and did what he came to do. And all who repent and believe in him have everlasting life. Absolutely amazing. Look at your notes there. Let me give you your first uh, fill in the blank. So the resurrection proved that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he came to do. Who did he say he is? He's God in, the, in flesh. How do we know there is a God? How about this one? He showed up here. He came from heaven to earth through Jesus Christ. Now, what did he claim to do? He rescued us. He redeemed us. He reconciled us back to the Father. And he restores our lives. Next, uh, on your notes there, it's one thing to think Jesus is the Messiah. But because of the resurrection, you can know that Jesus is the Messiah. So, so it's, it's really the difference between knowing intellectually and knowing experientially. My wife and I took a trip up the West Coast a couple years ago, and we stopped in uh, Tillamook, Oregon. Anybody? Have you been there before? That's, <laughs> that's an interesting, yeah, interesting place. Those are very happy cows that live in that area there. Uh, but it's, it's quite interesting. We stopped at the Tillamook Creamery or factory or or the visitor center. Did you guys do that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it was a lot of fun. And so we've been told that this was some of the best ice cream in the world, so we thought it was really good ice cream, but now we know, we know it's really, really good ice cream. We've experienced it ourselves, and uh, Tillamook is paying me for that advertisement. <laughs> And so there is a coupon in your bulletin for a free carton of Tillamook ice cream. Okay, go ahead and look. How dare him lie on Easter weekend? Yeah, I just, I, it's not a lie, it was just a joke, okay? Just, just a little fun. 
So while we were at the factory, my wife and I ate a grilled cheese sandwich, mac and cheese, and chased it with a carton of ice cream. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why I gained 100 pounds on that road trip. That was pretty wild. So it is one thing to think Jesus is the Messiah, but because of the resurrection, we can know. We can know that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a historical fact, although it is. It can and should be more than that. It should be a daily reality in our lives. So this is what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna do a case study. We're gonna look at the life of Peter. And so you can follow along here as we work through this. If you want to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to these various texts. Uh, They'll all be up on the screen behind me for the most part. And so let's do this case study of Hope Revived, Peter's life. So here we've got Peter's decision. That's your next fill in the blank on your notes. And this is where Peter meets Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter five. We're looking at verses four through six. And when he had finished speaking, this is Jesus, he said to to Simon, who's Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, have caught nothing. Anybody, when you go fishing, is that pretty much your fishing experience? (laughs) I got you, man. That's my fishing experience. I gave up fishing a long time ago. And so, yeah, that's it. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And then you move to verses 10 and 11 in this same chapter, Luke 5. And Jesus says to Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter, along with Andrew, James, and John, leave their nets. I mean, they leave their occupation and follow Jesus. So that's... Peter's decision to follow Jesus. Now, three years after following Jesus, we have Peter's declaration, and that's found in Matthew 26. This is your next next fill in the blank on your notes. Peter's declaration, Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. So this is at the end of his ministry. Shortly thereafter, he's gonna be hanging on the cross for all mankind. And he just, he's up, you know, he shoots straight with his disciples. You guys are going to all fall away. It's going to get really ugly. And as it's written, he's, and he's saying, this is a fulfillment of, of Old Testament prophecy. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Notice Peter's response. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. You hear a little pride there? Like, you see all these other losers over here? I'm not like them, okay? I'm, I'm a cut above the rest, okay? I'm not going to fall away. And then Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Notice Peter's response. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Me too. Whatever he said, yep, I'm in it. And so Peter's identity here, what's fascinating as you, as you really examine this, think about this, Peter's identity seems to be based on how much he loves Christ and not on how much Christ loves him. Now think about that for a minute because it's really helping us to understand the difference between religion 
and having truly a relationship with God or Christianity or the gospel. So religion basically says, I obey God, I love God with all of my heart, therefore he will love me and bless me in my life. And that's how most people think of Christianity, but that's religion. I get my act together, I try really hard, I start following Christ, and then he will love me, and he will bless me, he will accept me, that's religion. The gospel or Christianity or having a relationship with God, it starts with, with Christ. He has this amazing love for you. He loves you, he blesses you, he takes care of you, therefore, you love him back, you obey him, you follow him. You get the sequence out of order and you, you fall prey to religion, which many people do. This isn't religion, it's about a relationship with God. In fact, it tells us in 1 John four nineteen, we love him because he first loved us. So our identity is based on his great love for us, not on our great love for him. Our love for him is just response. See, what happens if you build it on, on a religious basis, it's, it's really more about achieving. It's about achieving as opposed to receiving. The gospel is not something that you achieve, it's something that you receive. If it's about something that you achieve, then uh, what's gonna happen is you're gonna fluctuate, you're gonna kinda swing to these extremes. When you're doing really, really well, you're gonna be filled with pride and you're gonna look down on others that aren't doing so well like you. Or when you're not doing so well, you're gonna go into despair as we're gonna see Peter do here in just a little bit. Go down into despair. But if, if your identity is based on his love for you, it gives an incredible security because you have acceptance, security, significance, regardless of the ups and downs in life. And in fact, if or when you sin, his love for you frees you to admit and confess your sin. And not only that, it has a way of weakening the hold sin has on us. That's what begins to transform us. And so, you can see that a little bit in, in Peter. He doesn't really understand that. He's basing it on his, his achievement as opposed to receiving Christ's love. Now, now, this isn't a message to beat up on Peter, okay? I'm just gonna be straight up with you on that. And it's actually a message to relate to Peter because I think that we can all relate to Peter. So let me do a quick survey here. How many of you have ever told the Lord, or maybe you even made this statement to those that were closest to you, about an area of weakness in your life, and you said, I will never do that again, only to find yourself doing it again. Show of hands, show of hands. Yep, 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 yep. That's, that is exactly like the death rate, probably 100% here, okay? I think if you were honest, yeah, we all struggle in many ways. And we all make promises oftentimes we don't follow through with. And so now we come to Peter's denial. Now Jesus has been arrested. Peter is following from a distance. Matthew 26, verses 69 through 74. Now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. 
And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl. Now keep in mind, servant girls aren't very high on the pecking order or the socioeconomic ladder in this culture. And so for him to cave in here is, is, is an eye-opener. It's really, as you see that, you go, what in the world's going on? So another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, hey, hey, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. It tells us in Proverbs 25, 29, the fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's a trap. That's what we see happening with Peter. And we we live in a culture like that. We're more concerned about what other people think of us rather than what Christ thinks of us. And we all struggle with that. In fact, it says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but those who trust in God are kept safe. Now, Peter didn't just deny Christ, but he denied Christ with an oath. You guys know what an oath is. You put your hand on the Bible, right hand, one hand raised in the air. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now, now he didn't do that, but he did make an oath, which is a greater level of denial. Let's continue reading here, verse 73. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Just stop there just for a minute. When I first met my wife, I knew that she was from Texas because her accent betrayed her. And uh, since she's been with me for 44 years, she speaks normal now. And uh, I'm just... That was a joke, I've got family in Texas. If you think Texans speak funny, go to Louisiana, huh? I've, I got some relatives there too, okay. And, uh, and so, as it said here, for your accent betrays you. And then verse 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Now, now this is not the oath kind of swearing, but it's really more of the profanity kind of swearing. And immediately the rooster crowed. Now, let's just think for a minute. Can you imagine how bad Peter felt? Now, here's some other scripture about Peter's denial found in Luke chapter 22. It gives a little more detail here. Luke 22, 60 through 62. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you were talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at him. Whoa. So these were small courtyards. So Jesus was, um, was probably about 10 to 15 yards away from Peter. So, so Jesus could hear what Peter said but also was able to make eye contact with Peter. So he heard Peter speak and then he made eye contact with him at that moment. And I think it's worse than that because at this time Jesus was being physically beaten. Matthew 27, 26 through 31, it says that he was being scourged, which, which was severe beating with multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of bone and metal. Most of us are familiar with that. And in in, if we've seen the Passion of the Christ, I mean, literally, it would just rip, just totally lacerate and pull chunks off your back and your shoulders. This is what Jesus is experiencing along with uh, crown of thorns pressed into 
his head. He was being mocked, spit on, struck by these soldiers. So when Jesus looked at Peter, he looked at him with with black eyes, bloody nose, bruised lips, blood coming down his face because of the thorns in his scalp. Let me ask you this, how bad would you feel if you were Peter? I mean, he had to have just been overwhelmed with guilt and shame. And, and really feeling just full of hopelessness and despair. I mean, I mean he, he told the Lord, I, I'll go to, I'll die for you. And here he's denied Christ three times. Matthew 27, 61, the last part of that, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he, Peter, went out and wept bitterly. So he's overwhelmed. Now some of you may be saying, I, I would never deny Christ with my words. But let me ask you, have you ever denied Christ with your works? With your works. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Yeah, I, I think all of us are guilty of that. If you need help with that, I'll help you right here, okay? So, so here it is. Have you ever been unloving, bitter, unforgiving, envious, discontent, judgmental, worried, prejudiced, Hateful, slanderous, scoffer. Okay, okay, okay. Enough already. I could go on. That's evidence that we are betraying Christ with our actions, with our works. And we may say we believe in him, but our, but our actions betray us. I love how the gospel levels the playing field. The Bible is really clear about this. It says this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just take a look around. I've got a perfect view up here. Okay, look at this. Everybody in here, everybody out there, everybody on YouTube live right now, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? We were created by God for God to give glory to God. And so what we find ourselves doing is that we exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve created things more than the creator, as it tells us in Romans 1.25. See, we fail to see how desirable and how glorious and how satisfying the Lord Jesus is. More so than anything else. More so than anything else on this planet. More so than a marriage, a great marriage relationship. I have a great marriage relationship. But Jesus is more satisfying than my great marriage relationship. I have some great kids. I have some great grandkids. I love them dearly. But Christ is more satisfying. I have some great co-workers here at Desert Breeze, great pastors, leaders. 
but he's more satisfying. Great people here at the church. We have an amazing church here, and yet he's more satisfying. I think you could say the same thing if you really knew Christ and, and had experienced what he, what he offers you. Now, anytime you come across a Christian, and I've also come across non-Christians that were like this. Anytime you come across a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, and I can understand if a non-Christian is like this, but I don't understand when Christians are like this, and I can tend to fall prey to this as you are, you're able to also. But anytime someone comes off very self-righteous, holier than thou, judgmental, sanctimonious, as a Christian, then they don't understand their own sinfulness and desperate need for God's amazing grace. They're, they're like Peter who said, look at me, Jesus. I will, go, I will go to death for you. I will do anything for you. They're, it's based on their achievement. It's something they achieve, not something that they have received. It's, I, I often call it modern-day Phariseeism. So when you come across people like that, it's that they don't understand the gospel. In fact, it tells us in 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're self-deceived. Now, here's what I've learned early on in the church is that the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for what? Sinners, welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. <laughs> we need Jesus. See, when you, when you confess Christ, it's not an admission that you have it all together. It's an admission that you don't and you desperately need him. And, and that's understanding the gospel and his grace. So Peter goes from decision, declaration, denial, now Peter's devotion. Now, Peter is still, still very discouraged post-resurrection, still carrying around some guilt and shame and despair. Now, remember what happened when, Je when Peter first met Jesus? He was out fishing all night, caught nothing, came up empty. Jesus said, hey, throw the nets on the other side. They threw them on the other side. They were bringing up so much fish, it was breaking the nets. It's pretty amazing. Okay, now we get into the story. Post-resurrection, John chapter 21, three through six. Simon Peter said to them, talking to the other disciples, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. John turns to Peter and says, it's the Lord. What does Peter do? He jumps into the water and swims to the shore and he finds his savior cooking some fish on a fire. They're waiting for him. And what's interesting, and then as you follow the story out, then uh, Jesus and Peter go on a kind of a walk along the beach of that lake and uh, Jesus helps him to kind of retrace his steps 
and he asked him three times, do you love me? Kind of retracing his steps of his denial three times, kind of really restoring Peter and helping Peter to, to really understand what he needs to do to deal with, with his sin. And so my question for you is this, why did Jesus do the same miracle that he did when Peter first followed Jesus? I, I think to let Peter know it, it's okay. It's okay, Peter. You can start again. You can start over. Peter, I know you blew it. I know you messed up. But I died for your failures and rose again so that you can start over every time you make a mistake and eventually win over sin. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying to Peter. Kind of restoring him, renewing him. That's why, why he died in our place for our sins, was resurrected on the third day to conquer sin, death, and evil so that we could experience freedom. See, Peter went from thinking Jesus is the Messiah to knowing Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Peter doesn't deny, when you read this out, you'll see Peter doesn't deny or blame shift or make excuses for his failure. He owns it, he brings it to the Savior, Jesus forgives him and frees him. Now listen to me. When you think about the gospel, this is what you should be thinking about. The gospel doesn't put burdens on you. It takes burdens off of you. That's the gospel. And the more you understand the gospel, the more you will continue to run towards him. And you're not gonna run away from him. I know a lot of people running from God. And it doesn't make sense to me. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you're running from freedom and love and security and significance and acceptance unlike you've ever experienced before. And they're running. And I think it's oftentimes their, their false conception of who God is. But the more you understand the gospel, the more you will run to him. You'll run to him by getting involved in a local church. You'll run to him by reading your Bible. You'll run to him in prayer. You'll run to him by hanging out with other fired up Christians. You will spend time with him. You will love him. You will want more of him. That's evidence that you, that you know him. Now, now, here's what's interesting about Peter is that when you look at his life, so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the gospel accounts of, of our Savior Jesus. And then what's the next book after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Anybody? Acts. What is it the Acts of? The first, the early church. Yeah, the apostles. The early church. And I'm telling you, after the resurrection, the church is lit up, and they turn that world upside down, or right side up, however you want to say it. I mean, literally, with the, the message of, of the gospel. And guess who's leading the way? Peter. Acts 1, Peter is leading in prayer. Acts 2, Peter is proclaiming Christ. Acts 3, Peter says to a lame man, rise up and walk. Acts 4, Peter is bold in the face of threats because of the resurrection, because of the life transformation that he's experienced. Listen to what Peter writes. So Peter goes on to write two of the books in the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 3. Listen to what he says here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation mark, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. 
So Peter had a, his hope revived, and now he proclaims a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let's apply this to our lives. Notice I didn't give you any fill-in-the-blanks here, so we're going to race through this pretty quickly. So this is what Peter experienced. This is what you can experience if you have, by grace, through faith, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll give you a, a moment to be able to do that here in just a little bit at the end of this. But the application of hope revived. This is what's true about But those that have, are getting baptized as they're making that public declaration of their faith in Christ. It's true of us that have, have already done that. And it's true of Peter. So the application of hope revived. I'm unconditionally loved by God unconditionally loved by God. Peter's identity is not based on his love for Christ, but on Christ's love for him. I don't have to live with guilt and shame. Peter was set free from guilt and shame. You can be set free from guilt and shame. I get God's spirit in me. Peter was able to overcome sin through God's empowering presence in his life. You can too. I can live with purpose and meaning. Peter now has an unshakable purpose and meaning in his life, regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of your circumstances. Unshakable purpose and meaning that will get you through the difficult times, the hard times, the painful times in your life. I don't have to fear death. Peter became a martyr for his Savior. He was crucified. Anybody know how he was crucified by church history? It says he was crucified what? Upside down because he felt like he was unworthy to be crucified like his Savior. So Peter goes to his death proclaiming the gospel of his Savior. And when they were going to crucify him, he said, no, I'm not even worthy to die like my Savior did. Turn me upside down. And then here's the last one on this list. There's plenty more that could be added. I can be certain I'm going to heaven. And Peter is now in heaven celebrating for all eternity. <laughs> Praise God. Yep. So how can a person become a Christian? It's right here, Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 13. This is what, what you need to do. This is how you need to respond. You've heard the gospel. This is how you respond to it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I invite you, if you've never made that decision, this is the most important decision you will make for time and eternity to give your life to Christ, to receive him, to acknowledge all that he's done for you. It's not something you achieve. It's something you receive by grace through faith in Christ. I would invite you to do that right now. If you've never done that before, do it right now as we, as we pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father God, we celebrate the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus who conquered sin, death, and evil so that we can be lavished with your love, freed from guilt and shame, empowered by your Holy Spirit, having an unshakable purpose and meaning in life without fear of death and guaranteed a place in heaven. So we pray for all this weekend who are making a public declaration of their faith as they identify with the substitutionary life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. May this be a defining moment in their lives that each one of them would look back to this day with fond and powerful memories. 
May each one of them become fully devoted followers of our Savior Jesus, walking with him, living his word, contributing to his work and making an impact in this world, all for his glory. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said, amen. Amen. Here we go, you guys ready? Baptism celebration. So here's what we're...